We thank you that we can gather to study your word, and I pray that you would just bless this time as we now come and, and as we just learn of you and, and uh, look at your faithfulness and your goodness uh, as we look at the book of Exodus. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Uh, just by way of real quick review, because uh, last week I was at the pastor's conference. So uh, two weeks ago we finished chapter 14, and it's a chapter that uh, most everybody's pretty much familiar with the details or the general um, you know, story that's given to us in that chapter, and that is the children of Israel crossing the Red Sea on dry land. And of course, as they would be released from Egypt, as God brought the plagues down upon Egypt, and it was finally Pharaoh that said, you need to go, you need to leave right now. And so they would leave very quickly. They le would leave with the gold and the silver and the spoils from Egypt, and they would head out into the wilderness. And then the Lord would harden the heart of Pharaoh, and, and, and it would be Pharaoh and his servants that said, what did we just do? So let's pursue the children of Israel as God would place them with the Red Sea to their backs and, and mountain ranges on both sides. And so they are boxed in, and they have these 600 chariots that are beginning to come towards them. And, and they look up, and they see the chariots, and they begin to cry out. And, and they're crying out to Moses and Aaron, why did you bring us out here? to die in the wilderness. It would have been better if we would have been left in Egypt. But the thing is, they didn't lift their eyes high enough. And so it was Moses that would stand up, and he would say to them, don't be afraid, and stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. And you're not going to see these Egyptians any longer. No, no longer going to bother you, and the Lord's going to fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. And so it's something that we talked about two weeks ago, of course, that sometimes we will find ourselves in a situation in our lives where we can't go left or right or go back. And it feels like that the world's about ready to come barreling down on top of us and it's overwhelming. And we need to remember to look up and cry out to the Lord and remember His promises and to be still and know that He is God that he has redeemed us with an outstretched arm, that he's going to work on our behalf, that he's going to, to give us his promises through his word that, that are going to work in our lives, that we can stand on those promises and we can look to him and say, Lord, you're my peace. Lord, you are my refuge and, and you are my strength. And you, with your outstretched arm, that is Jesus, have redeemed me from the world. So I don't need to be afraid of the world. And, of course, it would be Paul the Apostle that wrote in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, Be anxious for nothing, but through everything, prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God, and the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So we cry out to Him, and we look to Him and allow Him to work. But the thing that I want to remind you of is, as we continue here in chapter 15, um, that I think maybe the Lord perhaps has pressed this on me um, more as I've, I've, we've all read this chapter and probably pr many, many times. But where the, the Lord said to Moses, you know, why do you cry out to me? Tell the children of Israel to what? To stand still? To go back to Egypt? He said to move forward. And in our times of adversity and difficulties, the Lord would say the same thing to us that you move forward. Because in our own lives, there can be a tendency where we just kind of stand still and we murmur and we complain or we want to go back to the old ways, the old hangouts, the ways of the world, back to Egypt. And the Lord says, I want you to move forward. 
One of the things that I've been doing with the, with the high school group is they've been coming in an hour before VBS, and I've been doing devotions with them. And, and each of the four days, we're kind of overviewing the, the, each of the four chapters of Philippians. And it was, of course, today in Philippians chapter 3 that I was talking to them about ministry and I'm, I'm talking to them about principles of serving and and um, you know how to to be a servant and, and Paul talks a lot about that in the book of Philippians and do it with rejoicing but one of the things that we talked about this morning I said you know you guys continue to move forward in the Lord don't don't be standing still don't just get comfortable but you continue to grow in the Lord and go forward in the Lord. Because Paul would write one thing that I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press what? Towards the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul was one that he would continue to move forward in desiring to know the Lord more and desiring to serve him faithfully and just continue on in the things that God has for him. And that's what you and I are to do. So perhaps you come into this place tonight and things are heavy on your heart or there's difficult circumstances. Don't go back to the world because the world is nothing but deception and lies and it has nothing to offer you. Don't just stand still and murmur and complain. But you move forward and you trust in the Lord and you rest in the Lord. And that's what they did. And so we see as they would cross on dry land and there's walls of water on both sides. What an awesome sight that must have been for the children of Israel as they took all night to do that. And then that pillar of fire, that pillar of, of cloud that was between them and the Egyptians would move. And all of a sudden the Egyptians pursued the children of Israel. And we know how the waters receded and they would be drowned. And so now we move into chapter 15. Chapter 15 is going to begin with praise to God. And it's interesting because it's going to end with the children of Israel murmuring against God. So we're going to see the fickleness of the children of Israel. At this moment, they're praising God. But I think we're going to see some very important principles of worship as we look at their song that they give. The Song of Moses is what it's called as they worship the Lord. We read in chapter 15, Moses and the children of Israel sang this song to the Lord and spoke, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider has been thrown into the sea. And so we see that this chapter as... Uh, we see is a worship to the Lord. It's not to men. It's not drawing attention to man, but it's to God. And in these 18 verses that we see that they're worshiping the Lord, there's going to be 45 references to God. And so the first thing as we look at principles of worship here, and again, the kids this morning, is they're learning to be strong in the Lord. It was Steph and Caroline that was giving them a lesson on being strong through worship and how important worship is a part of our lives as Christians. And worship isn't something that we just do here when we come in the service. It isn't something that we just do to fill up time for the service. You know, we come in and we sing some songs. But it really it's an attitude of heart, first of all, for the Christian, that we're to have hearts that we worship the Lord. And we can worship the Lord uh, in our homes. We can worship the Lord in, in, during devotions when we're in our rooms, in the car, wherever it might be. But we're to have hearts that are, are towards the Lord and our worship towards Him. And worship is something that can be very, very simple. It's just something that is a song that's in your heart. It's something that we can sing in the car. Again, I think that worship can be very, very simple even in the church. And one of the things that I'm so blessed about is, is Jim, who's been our worship leader, for 10, 11 years now, we've, we've talked a lot about the heart of worship and the attitude of worship and principles of worship. 
And I appreciate that we do have a worship leader that desires more than anything that he leads us and whoever is up here on this platform lead us into worship where it's worship to God. You see, what can happen in the churches is that Christians can worship worship. And that's kind of been a trend where it's a big production and it's big entertainment. And, and I'm very thankful for the, the gifted people that we have to play the instruments and the voices that they have. Oh, it's a blessing and, and, and certainly it enhances the worship. But worship is to be to where we lead you towards the Lord and then they disappear and, and we're worshiping Him and it's towards Him. It's not to exalt man, it's not to exalt anyone. But worship can be where there is a worship band. It can be a choir. I'm so blessed that we started a choir, and I look forward to hopefully that we can use the choir uh, more uh, to where maybe perhaps it's just very simple, a guitar. Um, last week when I was at the pastor's conference, there's you know, 800, 900 Calvary Chapel senior pastors from all over the country and all over the world, and the worship was so simple. As the first day, a young guy on a guitar, that was it. And here are 900 pastors just worshiping the Lord. And, you, and it's towards the Lord. And very simple praise songs and, and some of the old hymns. And, and one of the tremendous blessings was Pastor Chuck coming up and singing two courses of How Great Thou Art, you know, as he led us in worship. And Dennis Agajanian just playing on the guitar. Um, Terry Clark playing on the keyboard, doing worship one day. And then the third day, another guy, just very simple worship. And it was very, very wonderful. So worship is to be to where it's towards the Lord. And, and Jim and I, we, we talk to enough people, and we know sometimes the mentality that what can go on. And please don't misunderstand me. I'm not trying to have a critical spirit, but I really desire that when, you know, and again, it's a blessing to see that the people that are up here on this platform, that, that um, they have a heart for the Lord and a heart to lead you into worship. And, and that's what's very important to me. And, um, and that we do worship the Lord and that we come in here and just focus on Him and give our praises to Him. And I pray that that takes place every time that we do come here. Um, there are churches that we know that they will hire their, their worship team. And they're a higher drummer. And I've had pastors, you know, talk to me and saying, well, you know, I just, I don't know. We, we got this drummer. He's very, 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 very gifted, but we don't even know if he's a Christian. And, and so those are things that we want to be careful in. And, and we want to be ones that, the ones here leading worship have a heart towards the Lord, and then we follow as we um, are going to be looking to Him. And so, again, very, very blessed at the talent that we have and, and people desiring uh, to lead us in the worship and the gifts that they have. And I'm very, very thankful. But more than that, I'm thankful for their hearts and their humble hearts. And, and I'm thankful that we can come into this place and, and really just worship the Lord. You know what? If we don't have the flames and the smoke, that, that's fine with me. A lot of times those things can be a distraction. At least they are to me. I remember uh, a couple summers ago, it was in July, um, right before the service, uh, the lights, the power just went dead. And what we did is we just opened up these doors and we started service. And, and we could do that. And we can do that in this small sanctuary. But, you know, there would be a lot of services they wouldn't know what to do because they don't have all the PowerPoints and the smoke and, and all the other things. And it would be much more difficult. And so worship is to be towards the Lord. And that's my point that I want to make. Um, it's praise to Him, and that's what they begin to do. I will sing to the Lord. He is triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider, 
He has thrown into the sea. In verse 2, the Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. Verse 3, the Lord is, uh, is a man of war. The, the Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army, he cast into the sea. He chosen captains also are drowned in the Red Sea. And the depths have covered them, and they sank to the bottom like a stone. And so we see here that um, I will sing to the Lord and uh, the horse and riders thrown into the sea. And, and what we see in this principle of ministry is that they are worshiping him, the Lord, because God has done what they couldn't do. And we praise God because he has done what we couldn't do. He said to them, I'm going to redeem you out of Egypt with an outstretched arm. And we can come into this place, no matter what we've been through, even through the difficulties and the hard times and the trials and, and the drag of the world, we can come into this place and we can have a heart of thanksgiving and gratitude and praise to God because He has done things that we couldn't do and that is provide forgiveness and salvation because Jesus outstretched His arms on Calvary's cross. And so we come in here praising Him. Thank you, Lord. Because I'm going to go to heaven. And I'm forgiven. And I have a relationship with the Father. We praise you. And we give you thanks for that. And so that's what they're doing. Lord, you saved us. You redeemed us from the Egyptians. You saved us from Egypt. And so uh, we see that also, the Lord, you're my strength and, and song. And when we let the Lord be our strength, he's going to be our song. Because he is stronger than the Egyptian army. He's stronger than any army or foe that comes against you and me. And so here they are praising him for salvation. You're our strength. Uh, we recognize that we couldn't save ourselves. In verse 3 here, the Lord is a man of war. Sometimes people don't like to read that, but I'm so glad that he fights on our behalf. And I am so glad that he has freed us from the world, that he saved us from the enemy. And the Lord brought judgment upon Egypt. And we see that as he did that, you know, we saw that the Lord's hand of grace was even extended out to Pharaoh because it was Pharaoh that as Moses came to him and said, Thus says the Lord, let the children of Israel go. And if you don't, this is what's going to happen. If you don't let my firstborn go, Pharaoh, that is the children of Israel, then your firstborn is going to be killed. He was warned that before even the plagues even happened. And we see that Pharaoh would harden his heart as the water was turned to blood and then were the frogs and then the lice and the flies and then there was the hail and all of this and Pharaoh continued to harden his heart. And finally it was Moses that came in and said, Pharaoh, that you are, are lucky, you know, that the Lord hasn't just wiped out your nation because he could have just simply spoken and wiped out all of Egypt and the children of Israel would have been free. We pray for those who are lost and are in Egypt. And we desire for them to come to the Lord. But I am so thankful that the Lord is going to bring an end to the evil of this world. And He's going to bring an end to sin. And He's going to establish His kingdom. Because He fights for us. And He will bring judgment. And He will bring justice. And He will bring His kingdom to this world. Yes, I want to pray for those who are lost. And those who don't know the Lord. Continue to do that. 
But as the Lord told us, as we saw in Matthew's gospel, pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And I look forward to the kingdom of God coming when he's going to come and establish his kingdom here on this earth. And then righteousness will cover the earth as waters cover the sea. And so he is one of war. He doesn't delight in judgment. But the thing is, he is going to take care of sin, and he's going to take care of the enemy. He's defeated the enemy. In verse 6, your right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, has dashed the enemy to pieces. And in the greatness of your excellence, you have overthrown those who rose against you. You sent forth your wrath. It consumed them like stubble, and with the blast of your nostrils, the waters were gathered together. The flood stood upright like a heap. The depths congealed in the heart of the sea. And the enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall be satisfied on them. I will draw my sword, and my hand shall destroy them. In verse 10, you blew with your wind, the sea covered them, and they sank like lead in the mighty water. We praise him, he who works with his right hand. And he's defeated the enemy. We know that Satan's been defeated because Jesus has wiped out the handwriting requirements, having, as Colossians chapter 2 says, that he uh, has stripped those principalities and powers uh, that, you know, um, had, um, because when Adam sinned, sin and death came into the world. But now we have forgiveness of sin. And so the enemy has been defeated. But when he talks about here that um, his right hand, it speaks of God working in skill and great power. And that phrase is used more than 50 times in the scriptures. Psalm 45, verse 4, God's right hand teaches us. Psalm 48, 10, God's right hand is full of righteousness. Psalm 77, 10 is remembrance of the year uh, of the right hand of the Most High. Uh, Psalm 110, 1, the Son uh, at the right hand of the Father. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 16, the cup of God's judgment is held in His right hand. So it speaks of God's mighty working. Uh, it speaks of His great power, uh, His right hand that would deliver the children of Israel from the enemy, the enemy who said, I'm going to pursue, I'm going to overtake, I'm going to divide the spoils. But the Lord, you blew with the wind and you covered them up with the waters and they sank like lead in the mighty water. And then verse 11, and who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? And who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, there swallowed them. You and your mercy have led forth the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them in your strength to your holy habitation. And so, who is like you? And of course the answer is, there is none. Because He is the Lord. He's Almighty God. We worship and we recognize that there is none like you, Lord, that you are the true and the living God. You are Almighty God that can work in any situation that we might find ourselves in, any difficult place that we might be in, that, Lord, that you can deliver us. And you, Lord, are going to establish your faithfulness and your goodness to us, and, and we will see that in our lives. And so, I, I don't know about you, but whenever I talk to somebody about the Lord, somebody who isn't a Christian, maybe they, they say they don't really believe in any God, or maybe they believe in a, in a false God or false concept of the Lord, I can speak about the truth of the Lord with great confidence and boldness, because there is none like Him. And, and don't you feel that way as well? Oh, Lord, you're so good, and, and you're so merciful. And you're so wonderful. And your word is true and what you've done for us and delivering us. And I love to speak to people about the Lord because there is none like him. He is Lord. He is God. 
And so we recognize as we worship him his, his sovereignty, his superiority, uh, the hand of God that is guiding us and working on behalf of us. In verse 14, the people will hear and be afraid. Sorrow will take hold of the inhabitants of Philistia. And then the chiefs of Edom will be dismayed. The mighty man of Moab, trembling, will take hold of them. All the inhabitants of Canaan will melt away. Fear and dread will fall on them by the greatness of your arm. And they will be as still as a stone till your people pass over, O Lord. Till the people pass over whom you have purchased, you will bring them in and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance in the place, O Lord, which you have made for your own dwelling, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. And in verse 19, for the horses of Pharaoh went with his chariots and his horsemen into the sea, and the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the children of Israel went on dry land in the midst of the sea. And so as we conclude this, this song of Moses, they recognize how the Canaanites, the, the Philistines, the Edomites, the Moabites, they're going to hear of God's doing here. They're going to hear how God you know, brought the plagues upon Egypt, how he drowned the Egyptian army. And as you look at the history of the Old Testament, and as you see, as they would make their way towards the promised land, they came up to the area of the Edomites and the Moabites, that it would be the kings that would say, uh-oh, this is the children of Israel, they're in our land. And, and they're the ones that their God parted the Red Sea and drowned the Egyptian army. They would hear of these things, and so they would eventually go into the promised land. The book of Joshua, of course, says Joshua would send those spies into you know, Jericho, their first battle, and the spies are there, and they're hidden by Rahab, and, and she comes to them and says, I know that your God is true, and God's given you the land, because we heard what the Lord did to the Egyptian army. And it would be all, you know, throughout the Canaanites and, and the inhabitants of the land, they would hear about the mighty hand of God. And, of course, it was the Lord that said to Moses, Moses, my judgments are going to be mighty upon the Egyptians that what? That they may know that I am the Lord. And so those other nations would recognize that, wow, that, that the God of Israel, that he is mighty indeed, clear up until the, through the days of the judges. And, and when... The, the Philistines had defeated the Israelites in 1 Samuel chapter 4. So the Israelites, they brought out the Ark of the Covenant, and there was a great shout, and the, and the Philistines said, Oh, no, they brought God into the camp. They're God who drowned the Egyptian army. And woe was us. So they remembered. They would fear, just as the song here. But over time, the children of Israel forgot. The children of Israel forgot. And as we have discussed, as Passover was instituted, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, say we go into the promised land, make these piles of stones, that when your sons ask, you know, why? And why are we celebrating Passover? Why are we celebrating the feast? That they may know that I brought you out of Egypt with a strong hand, and I've redeemed you and brought you into the land, and I've been faithful in doing that. But they would forget, and they would forget. So to remind you and me once again that we are to remember the goodness of the Lord and, and remember the faithfulness of the Lord and what He has done for us and, um, and, and allow people too to hear it from us as we give them our testimonies and the testimony of the goodness of God. And then in verse 20 and 21, the song of Miriam, Miriam the prophetess, uh, the sister of Aaron, took the timbrel in her hand, and all the women went out after her with timbrels and with dances, and Miriam answered them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and his rider. 
he has thrown into the sea. And so Miriam, of course, being the sister of Moses, the sister of Aaron, she was the older sister, probably the sister, uh, that would watch Moses in chapter 2 of Exodus float down the river as he was a baby. And, um, and his mother made a little boat, a little ark for him and floated him down the river. So Marion leads the w- women in worship. Um, and she's the first prophetess that is mentioned here in the scriptures as they're worshiping the Lord. And then verse 22, so Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea and they went out into the wilderness of Shur and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah for they were bitter. And therefore the name of it was called Marah. And the people complained against Moses saying, what shall we drink? And so he cried out to the Lord and the Lord showed him a tree. And when he cast it in the waters, the waters were made sweet. And there he made a statue and an ordinance for them. And there he tested them and said, If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, and I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. And then verse 27, And they came to Elam, where there were twelve wells of water and seventy palm trees, so they camped there by the waters. So here they are worshiping the Lord. They go three days' journey past that. They go into the wilderness of Shur, and all of a sudden they're running out of water. I mean, this is, um, this is really a hot desert that they're in. They're in Arabia, according to the book of Galatians. As Paul writes, they're heading towards Mount Sinai, and they're running out of the water supply, and they're hot and they're thirsty. So they come to Mara, and and they can't drink of the water there because the water is bitter. And what they do is they begin to complain to Moses. They begin to complain to him. We're going to see a lot of this as we go through these first five books. And we're going to see the fickleness of the people where they see God working. I mean, they, they've seen God bring the, the plagues upon Egypt. They saw God part the Red Sea, drown the Egyptian army. And here it is three days later. And they're murmuring and they're complaining. And we're going to see that how displeasing it is to the Lord. And they would come against Moses. We're going to see how difficult his ministry is. But Moses was one that, again, that lesson of move forward, Moses. Look to me, Moses. Trust in me is what you are to do. And so what does Moses do as they're complaining against him? This is what he does. They, it, the water is bitter. They, they can't um, drink of the water uh, because it is bitter. They call the place Mara, which means bitter. It reminds me of, of um, the book of Ruth. You know, it was Ruth that, as we see in that story, that Naomi from Bethlehem, her husband and her went over to Moab. They would go from Bethlehem straight east and cross the Jordan Valley and into Moab and, and bring their two sons. And their two sons married. One of the daughter-in-laws of, of Naomi was Ruth. And her husband would die and her two sons would die. It was a very bitter experience for them. And we know in our own lives, life can be bitter. And it would be Naomi that finally would go back to Bethlehem. And when she went back to Bethlehem, all the people of Bethlehem were saying, Naomi's back, Naomi's back, Naomi's here. And what did she say? She said, don't call me Naomi. She said, call me Mara, which means bitter. Because life has been bitter to me. And life can be bitter, and it can be hot, and it can be dry. And we begin to complain, and we begin to murmur. 
Again, one of the things that I talked about with the kids in Philippians chapter 2 is as I was talking to them yesterday morning in the devotions about ministry and, and the heart of ministry and, and that the, Paul the Apostle was writing to them and he was saying that, you know, be of one spirit of one mind and fulfill my joy by being like-minded and, and the way to do that is that, that you are to do nothing through conceit or selfish ambition but what you're to do is esteem others better than yourself and look out not only for your own interests but for the interests of others. And he would talk to them and write to them, the, the church there in Philippians chapter 2, of course, the ultimate example of Jesus who humbled himself and became a servant and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. But God would exalt him to where every knee shall bow down to him and confess that he is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so he's talking about humbling ourselves. And, of course, Jesus comes along, as we're going to see shortly in Matthew's Gospel, and teach the disciples, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you must be the servant of all. You must humble yourself as a child. And so in God's economy, it's a lot different than the world. And so here we were talking about that. But shortly after that, it says that do all things without murmuring, complaining, Paul writes to them in Philippians chapter 2. And it's so easy for us to begin to murmur and complain and doubt and be full of fear. And that's what we're going to see happens to the children of Israel. And by the time we get done with Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, we're going to see that that is very much something that the Lord desires for us not to do. Do all things without murmuring, complaining. Same phraseology as we're going to see over and over again with the children of Israel in their wilderness experience. And it's so easy for us to become ones that murmur and complain when life is bitter. So Moses cries out to the Lord. It's a good thing that Moses does. Moses is a man of prayer, we're going to see. Moses is the one with the flat nose. He's always on his face before the Lord, and he's crying out to the Lord. I was talking to a young pastor last week. He's just starting out in ministry, and, and I got the chance to just talk with him and pray with him. And and um, and really neat young man that's, that's got a church up in Montana. And, and, and he was talking about how difficult it's been and some of the trials he's gone through and the difficulties and how inadequate that he feels, you know, and even doing ministry. And, and he, he turned to me and he said, do you ever feel like quitting? And I said to him jokingly, I say, every Sunday afternoon, <laughs> I tell the Lord I'm going to quit, quit the ministry. But then every Monday morning I come in and I say, okay, Lord, I'm going to give it one more week. And there are times in our lives where we just say, you know what, Lord, I just feel like giving up. And Lord, I want to go back to Egypt. And we get to where we're murmuring and complaining. But what's the answer? Moses, this is what you're going to do. You're going to take the tree. You're going to throw it in the waters and it's going to be made sweet. So in those times when life is bitter... And it's hard and it's difficult. Turn to the tree. Turn to the cross of Calvary. Because Jesus has made it sweet. And he has saved us. And that's our answer. It really is the answer. 
to a fallen evil world as, as we see it all around us and the darkness and the difficulties and the loss that we go through. It is a world that truly, that the Word of God is, is so true when it says it's a fallen world. I mean, this time of year and, and um, you know, if it ever warms up, you know, we'll, we'll be going up to the mountains, you know. We'll be going camping and enjoying it. And we say, how beautiful. But it is beautiful. The mountains, and we live in one of the most beautiful places in all of the world. People come from all over to Colorado and to this area. But it's a fallen creation. And there is sin and there's death and, and there's sickness and disease. And we get sick and people that we love is afflicted with sick sickness and and it's hard and we go through sorrows and those things are very very real and sometimes it's overwhelming and we think what is the answer the answer is jesus the answer is the tree and he makes things sweet because he didn't leave us without any hope we have hope our hope is him in calvary's cross and so again, once again, we see just the Lord and pictured here and pointed to as we look at all these things that they're going through. And so here they are, and they end up going to Elim where there's 12 wells of water and 70 palm trees, and they camp there by the waters in chapter 16 very quickly. And they journey from Elim, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which between Elim and Sinai on the 15th day, the second month after they departed from the land of Egypt. So here they are. They've been out of Egypt for one month. They think the journey has been long they still got almost 40 years to go and they're headed towards Mount Sinai where they're going to receive the law of God they're in the wilderness of sin now it's not called the wilderness of sin because they sin there they are going to sin there but it can be translated Z-I-N as well that's the ancient name of where they're at and so verse 2 the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness and the children of Israel said to them oh that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the pots of meat and when we ate bread to the full and for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole congregation assembly with hunger. And so we see that they begin to complain once again. They're running out of food. The food that they brought is, is running out. So they, they begin to complain to Moses and Aaron, saying, what should you do? Just bring us out here so we can die? It would have been better if we would have been left in Egypt where we have pots full of meat and we had bread to the full and that's the deception that Satan will want to bring to you and to me he'll, he'll you know, bring to you selective memory of what it was like back in the world you know the fun times, the good times but you see they weren't remembering the bondage and the affliction that they were in um, they weren't remembering how terrible conditions were how Pharaoh was killing their children they didn't remember that so here they are murmuring, and they bring this totally unfair and horrible accusation against Aaron and Moses. You brought us out here just to die in the wilderness. And you see, that's what murmuring and complaining will do. It will, it will just really warp your perspective if you get into it. You just get a, a very strange and warped perspective of things because you're not looking to the Lord, and you're looking to self. And so here's, this is happening. So verse 4, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in, in my law or not. And it shall be on the sixth day that they shall prepare what they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. Then Moses and Aaron said to all the children of Israel, At evening you shall know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt. 
I mean, they should have figured that out by now. In the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, for he hears your complaints against the Lord. But what are we that you complain against us? Also Moses said, This shall be seen when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening and in the morning bread to the full. For the Lord hears your complaints which you make against him. And what are we? Your complaints are not against us, uh, but against the Lord. And so here is you know, Moses saying, Who are we? We can't feed three million people. You're complaining against the Lord. How is it that we can feed all of you guys? The Lord's going to provide meat in the evening and bread in the morning. When we begin to murmur and complain and say, I'll just go back to Egypt. It'd be better if I just go back to the world. It's a game that you don't want to play with God. And we're going to see that very clearly. Because he had done so much for them already. And he has done so much for you and for me. Because we are forgiven and saved He's sanctifying us, working us. He's giving us of His Holy Spirit. We have His Word and His promises to us. Don't play that game. To where you get into a rut of murmuring, complaining. We can feel sorrowful. Yes, we can struggle. You know what? I know that I can complain. But then I need to repent of it and say, Lord, you know what? I give it to you and I trust in you because you have been good and you've blessed me. And I'm not going to complain against your provision and the lot that you've given me and the work that you're doing in my life because you have saved me and done so much. You've blessed me so much in my family. And you've been so good to me. So the murmuring and complaining here, Moses says you're going to be fed with, with meat and bread to the full. In verse 9, And Moses spoke to Aaron, Say to all the congregation of the children of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your complaints. Now it came to pass, as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the children of Israel, that they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, I have heard the complaints of the children of Israel. Speak to them, saying, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. So it was that quails came up at evening and covered the camp, and in the morning the dew lay all around the camp. And when the layer of dew lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness was a small round substance, as fine as frost on the ground. So the children of Israel saw it. They said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, This is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. And so God provided quail, you know, meat and bread from heaven. And, and this bread, this small round substance, as we begin to learn of this bread, this manna, manna means what is it? So, you know, moms or whoever, if you put dinner on the table and the kids say, What is it? Just say manna. This is what it is. And of course, this manna Jesus would speak of in John chapter 6 later on is he fed the 5,000 and then the people came looking for him. And Jesus said, you're only looking for me because you're hungry again. And, and the, the manna that the, your fathers ate in the wilderness is gone and they're dead. But the thing is that Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they're saying, give us this bread. And Jesus makes that wonderful declaration, I am the bread of life. And whoever comes to me shall never hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. 
You need not only our salvation as we come to him. He says, you'll have everlasting life. As you eat of me and as you drink of me, as you believe in me and come in faith, you're going to be saved. But also, he's our fulfillment, our daily satisfaction. He, he's, he's our peace. He's our joy. He's everything that we need as we walk with him and as we stay close to him. And so this manna is given in verse 16. This is the thing which the Lord has commanded. Let every man gather it according to each one's need. One omer for each person according to the number of persons. Let every man take for those who are in his tent. And the children of Israel did so and gathered some more, some less. So when they had measured it by omers, they, he who gathered much had nothing left over. And he who gathered little had no lack. Every man had... Uh, gathered according to each one's need. And Moses said, let no one leave any of it till morning. So in Omer, we don't know exactly what it is for sure. Some say a couple quarts, some, some say a cup, uh, some say maybe as much as, as a gallon. They don't know exactly. But they were to, to um, you know, gather according to one's need or family's need and for that one day. And they're going to be instructed, of course, on the sixth day because the Sabbath you are to rest. You're to gather for two days. And so you are to gather this round substance, and the instructions continue here. As we see in verse 19, uh, again, Moses said, Let no one leave any of it till morning. Verse 20, Notwithstanding, they did not heed Moses, but some of them left part of it till morning, and it bred worms and stank, and Moses was angry with them. And so they gathered it every morning, every man according to his need, and when the sun became hot, it melted. And so what they were to do is gather it early in the morning. If they waited too long, then the sun would melt it away. You, you got your daily needs, and if you got too much, it would end up, you know, rotting and stinking. A couple things here. God provides as we go out and work. They were to go out and gather it. And as we partner with Lord and step out in faith and say, Lord, you know what? You're prompting me. You're telling me. You're, you're guiding me. You're directing me. He's going to do wonderful things. But it isn't being a Christian just laying around. But it's working for the Lord and stepping out. And, and He provides as we work, as uh, we go out in the workplace, whatever it is that the Lord is working in, whatever area of your life. We see that they were to go out and do that. And God is teaching them again his daily provision. Give us this day our daily bread is what the prayer that Jesus said, pray in this manner. And we look to the Lord each and every day. Lord, you provide for me each and every day as I look to you and trust in you. And they were to go out again early in the morning because if they didn't, then it would melt away. And I think a good principle here for us to be reminded that we start early with the bread of life, Jesus, each and every day. They didn't have leftovers. That was one of the good things, I guess. But it would be the same thing every day, I guess. But they didn't, you know, if they gathered too much, they didn't have a refrigerator to put it in like we do. You know how leftovers kind of build up and, and then pretty soon it starts to kind of rot and stink and we have to throw it away and stuff. Don't just live off of yesterday's fellowship and devotion with the Lord. Every day. Every day start with Him. Every day give your devotion to Him. Do it before you start your day, whatever that might be. I know for some of you guys it's really early because you go in early. For others of you that you work different shifts, you know, whatever that might be, you start your day with the bread of life, Jesus Christ. 
And so to verse 22, and so it was on the sixth day that they gathered twice as much as bread, two omers for each one, and all of the rulers and congregation came and told Moses. And then he said to them, This is what the Lord has said. Tomorrow is a Sabbath breath, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake today, and boil what you will boil, and lay up for yourselves all that remains to be kept until morning. So they laid it up until morning, as Moses commanded, and it did not stink, nor were there any worms in it. Then Moses said, Eat that today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will be none. Now it happened that some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, for the Lord has given you the Sabbath, therefore he gives you on the sixth day bread for two days. Let every man remain in his place. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. So the Sabbath day was the day, a day of rest. Uh, they weren't to go out and gather, but there were those who were going out, and they didn't find any food. They didn't find any manna. We'll talk more about the Sabbath as we'll get into chapter 20 here in a few weeks. But you know what? Today people are looking for fulfillment and satisfaction and food and salvation spiritually where God says there isn't going to be any. It isn't going to be there. It's in Him. And believing in Him and following after Him. So the people rested on the seventh day and then the house of Israel called its name Manna. And it was like a white coriander seed, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Then Moses said, This is the thing which the Lord has commanded. Fill an omer with it to be kept for your generations, that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, Take a pot and put an omer of manna in it, and lay it before the Lord to keep for your generations. And as the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron laid it before the testimony to be kept. They're going to make the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Covenant in the, in the Holy of Holies. In the Ark of the Covenant is going to be this jar of manna, this omer of manna. And the children of Israel ate manna 40 years till they came into the inhabited land. And they ate manna t- until they came to the border of the land of Canaan. Now an omer is one-tenth of an ephah. And so, Father, we thank you for this time that we've had in your word together. And, Lord, just looking again how you provide in the bitter times sweetness and hope because of the tree of Calvary. We're reminded how Jesus is the bread of life, that he's the true bread that brings us salvation as we believe in you. Lord, we have everlasting life. And as we follow after you and, and, and Lord, trust in you, that we know that, that we're going to have ultimate and true satisfaction and fulfillment and peace and joy in our lives. Father, may we never be a people that, that we just murmur and complain all the time. Lord, forgive us because we do. And we get tired and we get stressed out and or whatever it might be, we get frustrated. But Lord, may we always underneath it all look to you and have that heart of worship because of what you have done for us. So, Father, we thank you that we can come tonight. Lord, just taste of your forgiveness. Take in of your love and your mercy and your grace. And as we just continue again with heartfelt worship right now, I pray that, Lord, that we would just come and, and Lord, draw close to you. And if there's been attitudes in our hearts that have been wrong, 
that we would just confess it. Lord, that you would just encourage us and build us up tonight, that we can leave here saying, oh, Lord, thank you, because you are merciful and good and forgiving, and you have done so much. That, Lord, that you would encourage us, knowing that you will provide for us our daily needs, and perhaps we might be in difficult situations, or things are tough, and and we wonder, Lord, how's this all going to work out financially, vocationally, practically? That, Lord, we just look to you each and every day because you are our song, because you are our strength. So, Lord, just bless this time as we just worship for a few moments. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. We're going to worship.